Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Really appreciate you staying with us six minutes after the two o'clock. Um, I did say earlier that we're going to have a, an extended conversation around COVID-19. It's important for us to continue doing this because every single day I think there is a new discovery about what the virus is and, and, and how it affects us all. What has shook me a bit is stories coming out of specifically the U.S. and some in Europe that they, they could be other symptoms that we may have missed that affect particularly children and teenagers that don't look like respiratory kind of symptoms that we've seen in adults. I thought let's get Professor Shabi Madi to join us, who's a professor of vexenology at Wits University. It's also an opportunity for you to call in and ask your questions. I know many, many of you also have many questions. 891 Prof, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon to you. Professor, what do we know about what we're hearing? This is very, very new still. We're hearing that you have children who may be carriers of COVID-19, but showing very different symptoms to what we uh, have been seeing. Yeah, so I think there's two important parts to that question. The first part is that children are as likely as adults to get infected with this virus, the South coronavirus 2 that causes COVID-19. Professor, just no- repeat that are as likely or not as likely? As likely. As likely. The chances of a child getting infected with the virus is exactly the same as the chance of an adult getting infected with the virus. There's mm-hmm. no difference. Okay. The difference is that children are less likely to become severely ill. Children are less likely to die. In fact, there's very few children that have died from COVID-19. Uh, despite the number of people that have died, closing on to one million, mm-hmm. there's just a handful of children that have died from COVID-19. Italy, as an example, there's, as of the 1st of May, there were 50,000 people that died from COVID-19 in Italy. There was not one child under the age of 18 that died. In the United States, when there were about 125,000 cases of COVID-19 on about middle of April, there were only three children that died. And all three children had other medical conditions that increased the risk of developing severe disease. So children will get infected with the SARS coronavirus too. Right? But the majority of children that get infected, close to 99% of children that get infected, if not more than 99%, won't be hospitalized till they have a mild self-limiting illness or they'll be completely asymptomatic. Now, the few cases that you described, mm. the children that are presenting with this atypical presentation, it's not unique to children. Okay. Even in adults between 18 and 45 years of age mm. who don't have any medical condition, Right. A few weeks ago, from the United States, they reported that they're seeing an increase in terms of adults mm-hmm. that were presenting with a sudden stroke, mm. right, which means there's something happening in the brain. The blood vessels are probably getting blocked up in the brain, and adults are presenting with a sudden stroke. Mm-hmm. But the numbers are very few. So the one thing about COVID-19 is that it, besides for causing a pneumonia, mm-hmm. it can cause other sorts of symptoms and signs. Right? It can cause a person to have a diarrheal disease, gastroenteritis, mm-hmm. right? And the few cases that have been sort of mentioned are children that are presenting with what seems to be a large vascular disease, which yes. what it means is that large vessels in the body yes. are basically being inflamed, right? And because of that inflammation, the amount of blood that passes through is not adequate and the tissues are not getting enough oxygen. 
Let me uh, just ask uh, people to start. I see a lot of people want to ask you questions, Prof. Can I just ask you to pause there for a second? 0891-104-207. Professor Shabi Madi is my guest. He's a professor of vexenology at Wits University. And we are discussing COVID-19. Your concerns, your questions, all are welcome on WhatsApp, SMS and on calls. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. My guest is Professor Shabi Madi, who is a professor of vexenology at Wits University. We're discussing COVID-19. My concerns came through when I was hearing that there were symptoms that seemed to be different to what we had already been told about in adults that are appearing in children. Prof, let me ask you this. Is the issue not the concern, particularly coming from the U.S.? I'm not saying that's your concern, but that they may have missed the diagnosis of these children prior to to what we are seeing now. The Kingdom and Italy and Spain, we have got highly qualified uh, physicians that are equal to the physicians in the U.S. are unlikely to have missed uh, this sort of a manifestation. So there are going to be a few children that are going to develop there are going to be a few people, children as well as adults, that are going to develop an atypical presentation. But the reason why this has made headline news mm. is not because it's so common, mm-hmm. but rather because it's so rare. Mm. Right? So we all know that when something unusual happens, that's mm-hmm. what creates headline news. And that is exactly what's happened here. So it's not a common disease. Mm. It's not a common occurrence in children that are infected. Like I said, if it was a common occurrence, and considering that children are as likely to get infected with this virus as adults are, we would have been seeing hundreds, if not thousands, of more cases of this, right, in terms of the number of children that have been infected. In New York, as an example, about 25% of the population, one quarter of the population, have been infected with this virus already. Right? And many of those are children, mm. right? but they haven't observed it in New York. Mm. Right. So, or rather, they haven't observed many cases in New York. So I just think we need to be a bit circumspect when we sort of gather, gather this type of information. Mm-hmm. It needs to be put into the context of what is the bigger picture, rather than being yes. looked at on its own. Prof, um, the minister keeps talking about his concerns, genuinely so, around access of, of testing uh, kits. Uh, we, we Obviously, the world has got a shortage. Does that concern you a lot with regards to how we as a country are managing uh, COVID-19? Oh, yeah, without question, that is one of the weakest points in terms of our response to COVID-19 in the country. Us not being able to test not enough people and more importantly, our laboratories not being adequately equipped to be able to actually turn around the results within a reasonable period of time. So without that, much of what we're doing in testing when it comes to the community becomes a futile exercise. And why do I say that? So if the laboratory is taking between 5 to 14 days to get the result back in places such as Gauteng, in places such as in Western Cape, when you test someone and you only get the result back to them in 5 to 14 days, by that time, that person in fact is no longer infectious. Uh, that person is less likely to be spreading the virus five to 14 days after the symptoms have started mm. than in the first five days of when he's having symptoms. So if you're waiting for a result to come back 10 days later, you mm. might just as well not test yeah. because you're not going to do anything for that person. Mm. You can't isolate the person only when the test becomes available mm-hmm. because, like I said, by that time, the person is no longer infectious. In addition to which, you've got a problem that that person has been in contact with a number of other people mm. during, that inter, 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 during that period of time. 
right? And each person on average probably has about 20 close contacts per day. Yep. Right? Even if a person is diagnosed on day two of his when his symptoms, mm. that person is infectious from three days before the symptoms start. Sure. Right? So you need to take all of the contacts over that five-day period, which is about 100 contacts a person, and you need to follow up about 80% of those contacts for us to be able to use that sort of a strategy to be able to contain or reduce the rate of spread of the virus. So we're not able to do that. And what's happening right now is that the reality is because of the backlog in testing, mm. the care of patients that are being admitted to hospitals is being compromised mm. because their results are also not coming in within 12 to 24 hours. So the physicians don't know how to look after them. The nurses don't look, know how to look after them. In addition to which, the well-being and the health of the healthcare workers has been compromised. Mm. Because when they know that someone is COVID positive, they need to use different sort of protective personal equipment yeah. to prevent themselves from getting infected compared to anyone else that walks into a hospital. They can't use the same PPE for every patient yeah. because there isn't enough PPE in the hospital. So what needs to happen is that the type of testing or the, the nasal swab testing, if we can't get the result in 12 to 24 hours, we can't continue doing it. Prof, that, that, that then means to me that, you know, shut down, lockdown or not, level two, three, four, five or one, um, you know, that it's not going to change much if our, if by the time we are already um, showing symptoms, it's almost too late from what you're explaining to me now. I mean, that, that's a major, major concern. So what would your then strategy be in this situation? Yeah. So I think we need to be pragmatic. So it's not unique to South Africa, and I think we need to accept yes, that. Yes. In the United Kingdom, in the United States, right, even now, up to now in the United States, it takes about five days for them to get the result back when they do testing in a community. So even though they're doing almost more than 200,000 tests per day, right, the test results are not coming back quick sure. enough. In the United Kingdom, they don't actually want people to come forward for tests when, they, when they're sick. They rather ask these people to self-isolate until they're better. Right? So they don't even do testing until recently in the United Kingdom mm. because they didn't have the capacity to be able to turn around the result after 12 to 24 hours. So then the suggestion is if someone has got the signs and symptoms of COVID-19, mm. right, then they need to self-isolate. They need to stay at home until they're feeling better, at least for 14 days. Mm-hmm. Right? And that is the most pragmatic, practical way in which we can actually make sure that we reduce the rate of transmission of the virus. So, so right now, what you're saying makes some sense to me in the sense that our plan then would be then, okay, we cannot get to everybody, especially at the critical time of testing. Um, and, but we know that we, most of us are going to get the virus. We know that. And most of us are not going to die from it. So the strategy maybe is to then, I suppose, prepare ourselves for those isolation spaces. Is that maybe the way to go? Exactly. So I couldn't have said it better. And I think what you said is really important, that people need to accept that someone that has got COVID, there's no reason to stigmatize that person. Because the reality is that over a period of two years, about 60% of South Africans are going to be infected with this virus. Mm. And there's no getting away from that. Mm. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that that 60% doesn't get infected over a period of three to four months. Because that means we'll have a huge number of cases at the same time that come to the hospitals and the hospitals will collapse. Mm. And so we want things to spread the period of time over which that 60% of people get infected, right? After which the virus will probably become like another nuisance seasonal virus. Yes. Right. So we want to spread it over two years. So when people become sick and need to be hospitalized, there's adequate capacity in our hospitals to be able to deal with it. Right. 
So the only way we can spread, reduce the rate, the way that we need to re- think about it in terms of reducing the rate of spread of the virus, like you mentioned, if someone is sick, they need to go into some sort of self-isolation. They mm-hmm. can't be in contact, close contact with other people, even in the house. Yeah. Ideally, they need to maintain a distance mm-hmm. from other people in the house. Mm-hmm. Like they need to wear a face mask, mm-hmm. right? Because a face mask, when they're coughing, when they're speaking, when they're breathing, right, they release contaminated droplets, which infect them, which contaminate the environment, and if people are very close to them, it go, can go directly and infect those people. Right. So even though you might not have a room of your own in your house because your house is too small, by doing simple things like using a face mask, mm. not sharing the same utensil, mm. not sharing the same towel, mm. like wiping, out, wiping down the toilet or mm. the bathroom after you've used it, mm. that's how you're going to protect other people in your house from getting infected. You're not going to go out in a community because if you go out in a community and you're sick, you're going to infect other people in the community and they're going to go home and infect other people in their household. Right. So and that's... then we need to use other things like hand hygiene and physical distancing, avoiding overcrowded situations. So all of these things are easier said than done. But the reality is there's no policy that government can come up with. Whether it's level two, level three, level four, level five lockdown, that's going to be immaterial, Mm. right? Unless the citizens of the country Mm. actually understand what needs to be done and actually do what needs to be done. If that doesn't happen, we can be on level five for the next, for the rest of the year Mm. and destroy the livelihoods of 80% of the population. And we will have achieved very little. Because after we looked at lockdown, you're going to get a flare-up of the virus again. Prof, I'm going to ask you just to pause for one second. I know you need to go, but there is a question that I think is very important for you. Uh, so let me just take the, the little quick break, and then I'll be back with more. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Greetings, Sister Pimela and the Professor Dale. Uh, one thing I like to comment to the professor is that uh, they are good at studying medication when it comes from the West. But studying indigenous medication, they are failing. Uh, I was amazed to know that there are such professors who are studying medicines and uh, the diseases that are occurs in the people. Uh, while the West, while the people from the West taking our medications from Africa, when those medications came back, they are good at studying them. They are good at they are good at explaining them at um, at explaining them. But they are very, very, very poorly when it comes to studying their own indigenous medication of Africans. Take aloe, for example, that draws that draws from the Eastern Cape. They are they are failing from they are failing from studying it. They are failing studying from Omshonyani what it do, what it can do. Thank you, Paul. All right, so, um, Prof, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to all of them because there are quite a few. And let me just read one WhatsApp note. It says, why are high blood pressure patients more at risk of death from COVID-19? And another one says, are there any researchers using nanotechnology to fight uh, uh, or find a cure for COVID-19, Prof? Yeah, so I think uh, so in terms of the first gentleman with regard to herbal medication, yes. uh, it's not the field that's completely ignored. In fact, the Medical Research Council of South Africa is actually funding work around the use of herbal medication, uh, including a recent call for people to come forward to test out uh, whether herbal medications might have any sort of a role uh, in terms of treatment. Uh, so, But at the same time, uh, when you deal with science, you can't just decide that something is good and go and introduce it into the population. It needs to go to rigorous, rigorous testing to make sure that it works. So as an example right now, 
in Madagascar. The president is sort of touting this uh, herbal medication known as artemisinin, which is a plant, right? and saying that that works against COVID with absolutely no evidence that it actually does. For all intents and purposes, it probably works as good as water uh, in terms of doing what it's doing. But so it needs to go through proper scientific testing before you can actually advocate for you. So it's not been completely neglected. It's not my field of study. But certainly there are other professors that are actually looking at it. Professor Shabi Madi, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. We'll keep in touch. Thank you. And uh, I just want to just tell you quickly that most of our listeners are saying, let's make you president. Thanks for your time, Prof. (laughs) (laughs) Professor of Vexenology at Wits University. They're just giving us his take on COVID-19. As I said, we'll continue to do this. Now, for the man who, a gentleman that sent in a voice note around African medicine. So we've had a, a show, in fact, two. Two shows, just uh, unpacking all of that, just to echo what Professor Madi has said. There are things that are happening on the ground. So what I will do is that on our timeline, on the SAFM timeline, what we'll do is that we'll share that podcast, okay? Because we had an expert and uh, the work that they're doing right now with traditional medicine and how they are looking for solutions for COVID-19. So it has not been neglected, certainly not by us as a conversation. And we have got some some news for you. So what I, you may have missed that particular conversation. So what I'll do is that we'll just make sure sure that we re, uh, we put it we put it up again as a podcast so that you'll be able to at your leisure listen to that conversation